welcome to the Baptist Broadcast. Thank you for tuning in. Whether it is through Spotify, iTunes, you can find us on both of those platforms. Uh, also, if you're watching on YouTube, of course, smash that subscribe button. And do not forget to click the bell for continued notifications. JoshSummer.Substack.com is the place to subscribe to the newsletter. It's also a place where you can support video content like this through paid subscriptions. You'll get extra content uh, and things like that 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 normal subscribers will not will not get. And I think the existing subscribers for their subscription and for their support of this content. Welcome to the Baptist broadcast. Thank you everyone for for tuning in. Big topic today. We're going to talk about alcohol. Man, I tell you what, I um it was Saturday. It was like Saturday afternoon. It's um it's Wednesday I'm recording this and uh Saturday afternoon uh I realized that I was not feeling well. I I woke up that morning sore already and I hadn't worked out the day before. So I, you know, there's something wasn't right with that. And then I got super sore that afternoon and then was like in bed early and everything else and, and super, you know, kind of sick and it felt like a flu. Uh, went and did Lord's Day anyway. <laughs> Sermons aren't going to preach themselves. So just kind of steered clear of everybody else and uh, uh, preached the Lord sustained. So I'm grateful for that. And then... Um, Actually got worse on Monday, uh, and then today or ye- uh, yesterday just had a sore throat, and today I still have a lingering sore throat, so it's kind of hanging on. Um, uh, weird, weird. Anyway, I want to talk about alcohol. Uh, my thoughts on Christian consumption of alcohol. I have a lot of thoughts on this subject because it, you know, it's 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 kind of part of my testimony a little bit just in terms of, not testimony of, of coming to, to faith in Jesus Christ, but in, in just in terms of growing spiritually and my experiences in different churches and different parts of the country uh, where this issue has, has, um, has played a large part in the thinking of, of some Christians. So <clears throat> I was for um, a, a little while, I, I don't know, I want to say about a year about a year, my wife and I were probably about a year and a half, actually, if we count Hawaii. So if you count Hawaii, we, we were involved in charismatic kind of contemporary church circles. And then in California, got involved with Calvary Chapel. And they, of course, take a, a, a very, you know, kind of highbrow, uh, moralistic, you know, stance toward that. You could You can be, you know... I don't know, uh, you know, I don't know. You could you could be out getting tattoos and 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 dating girls left and right and um, no accountability in church or anything like that. But oh, you know, alcohol is kind of like of the devil, and you know we don't we don't we don't touch alcohol. So it was just kind of a weird environment. And uh, you know, it, early on, it caused me to to question you know, why am I seeing a, a, a discontinuity in the text of Scripture and what what these guys are teaching? And why are there other Christians whom I know who, who feel like they're, they're at liberty to, 
have a beer or a glass of wine or something like that, you know, restricting obviously drunkenness. Um, you know, what, what is this? You know, I didn't, I didn't really even understand the controversy. Um, I understood that alcohol had been, had been declared to be something that's bad. Um, but I didn't understand the other side of it. I, I didn't understand people who thought that that was okay. At the same time, I, I saw that there was alcohol consumption in the scriptures. So, um, so I, you know, this, this kind of, this issue, this, de- I guess this, this controversial issue of Christian consumption of alcohol, uh, really, um, has been, has been with me for, for a long time. So, um, it, it was always interesting to me that, you know, you can, you can, you can find Christians who are so strict against alcohol, yet their households look like total trash. Um, you know, their, their wives are, are, you know, not, uh, being fed spiritually, they're not being tended to by their husbands. Their husbands are not, um, you know, uh, owning up to their responsibilities within the home, over the household. Um, children are all over the place, you know, in terms of their uh, thoughts about who God is, and and especially their obedience or the lack thereof to to the Holy Scriptures and things of that nature. And so, and then you also have, <laughs> you, you you have the kind of uh, the. Uh, the low-hanging fruit of like the the 500-pound pastor who, who at the same time, you know, while he's 500, you know, 300 pounds overweight or whatever, uh, is is also condemning people for drinking alcohol because you know their bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit and all of this. So that's just kind of like the laughingstock version of it. So you have all these inconsistencies, right? And um, and so I kind of wanted to early on. I was kind of forced to get in, get to the bottom of this. And I actually had a pastor that. Um, uh, at uh, at our first Reformed Baptist Church, that that greatly helped me to uh, to grow in this area. So, what I would like to do is just look at the issue textually, and um, and and actually, I was hoping to be able uh, to bring up the uh, the screen capture here. Um, I think I can I think I can still do it. Um, I might need to, uh, there we go. Um, and of course I'll have to increase the, not that much, um, the sizing of the letters here and, uh, and bring up these highlighted parts and hopefully, and I'll enlarge this, uh, screen here in a moment. Patience, patience, everyone. And let's just do this. Make it a little bigger. Bring it over here. Okay. If you if you go full if you go full screen, you should be able to see that. And I'll I'll go ahead and hike this up a little bit more in terms of size. And this one too. Okay. So you should be able to see that uh, quite clearly, especially if you go to uh, go to full go to full screen. And if you're if you're tuning in on the podcast, I will just I I will read these texts, so you're not going to be in the dark totally. Um, Although this is a motivation for you to get on YouTube and and subscribe to the channel, so um, several texts that uh, that first of all, let me lay out my own position. My own position is that um, whether or not you consume alcohol is an indifference, right? It's an indifference, um, or it would be called in more technical language, it'd be called adiaphora. 
um, which means that Christians have liberty to partake or not partake. It's not forbidden in the scripture, um, you know, the consumption of alcohol. That's not forbidden in the scripture at all. Uh, what is forbidden in the scripture, and we should all agree upon this, is drunkenness. And you can say, well, it's a slippery slope, of course. Uh, you know, you, 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 um, you can make the slippery slope argument. Well, if you have one or you have two and then you have that third one and then you've had one too many and all of a sudden you're, you're drunk, what's that line? Okay, uh, we could make the problem with that um, and, and you start trying to formulate laws concerning, you know, uh, adiaphora. Uh, on the basis of a slippery slope argument, which is kind of what John MacArthur does. He just says, no, there's no law against drinking alcohol, but it's unwise. Well, in, in my view, what is unwise is also sinful. So, um, so if, if we're going to, if we're going to, to make those kinds of arguments, we could just make that with almost anything. Um, uh, you know, don't get involved with sports at all because you might, get addicted to sports and, and you might prioritize sports over and above the Lord's day. Don't, you know, don't, uh, don't listen to any kind of, you know, um, music because you might listen to the wrong kind of music or you might be tempted to listen to the wrong kind of music and, and you might accidentally listen to the wrong song. Uh, so, you know, you can make those slippery slope arguments, um, all day long. The reality is though, is that Jesus drank wine. The other reality is is that there was a method in the first century for um, for making grape juice. Uh, it was possible to make grape juice. It was the exception to the rule. All right. It was actually it was the it was the exception to the exception to the rule. It was very hard to do. It was not within the scope of of normalcy whatsoever. And if someone was drinking wine, they were drinking an alcoholic beverage normally. Okay. Um, and so we can, and, 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 and we should probably evaluate Jesus' behavior in light of what the law requires and doesn't require, because Jesus was born under the law, and he was a perfect law keeper, all right? He didn't break the law. Um, he, he obeyed the law perfectly. Um, so the first place I want to go to is actually Deuteronomy. I'll bring this back up here. And if you look here on the, uh, on, on the right side, on the right side of the of the panel there, uh, and I'll have to enlarge it again. Um, this is uh, a, a text on tithing, and it's Deuteronomy 14, uh, verses 22 through 27, and we're just going to read the whole text here. Um, you shall truly tithe all the, incre all the increase of your grain that the field produces year by year, and you shall eat before the Lord your God in the place where he chooses to make his name abide, the tithe of your grain and your new wine and your oil of the firstborn of your herds and your flocks that you may learn to fear the Lord your God always. But if the journey is too long for you so that you're not able to carry the tithe or if the place where the Lord your God chooses to put his name is too far from you when the Lord your God has blessed you, then you shall exchange it for money. Take the money in your ha hand and go to the place which the Lord God chooses and you shall spend that money for whatever your heart desires, for oxen or sheep, for wine or similar drink, or whatever your heart desires. You shall eat there before the Lord your God, and you shall rejoice. You and your household, you shall not forsake the Levite who is within your gates, for he has no part nor inheritance with you. And the part I want you to hone in on here is obviously verse 26, um, where it says, spend the money 
spend that money for whatever your heart desires. Oxen or sheep, so you can buy livestock, or for wine, or similar drink, uh, which would be like beer, right? Um, it would be, and, and, the, and the word there lexically means intoxicating beverage, intoxicating beer. Not, not saying that it's necessarily the case that when you drink it, you'll be intoxicated or drunk, but this is an alcoholic beverage, sikar in the, in the Hebrew, and uh, wine, uh, yayin in, in the Hebrew is, is, you know, it falls within that within that gloss of, of similar drinks. So this is like beer, whiskey, wine, um, any beverage that would be, that would be alcoholic. And, and, and here it's, this is not just like, you can do this. It's almost like an encouragement, like go out and do, go out and buy these things and, and consume them as, as your heart desires. Um, and, and obviously we're understanding that the, that the desires of the heart is to be, defined or constrained to within uh, the law of God because the law of God is true liberty. So that that rules out drunkenness. We see prohibition against drunkenness everywhere and and against um, insobriety or inebriety of, of mind. That, that's, that's without question forbidden in the scriptures. Um, so we're not seeing here an exhortation or an encouragement to go and, and, and get drunk off of this stuff. We're, we're just seeing that, you know, this is, uh, these are enjoyable beverages. This, this is something that God has given us to be enjoyed to his glory. And so, um, you know, go and buy it, um, and enjoy it, enjoy it. Uh, it's a fruit of your labor kind of thing. Uh, the next place I'd like to go to is Psalm 104, 12, and it's Psalm 104, actually it's Psalm 104, 14 to 15. And in Psalm 104, um, 14 to 15, it says, He causes the grass to grow for the cattle and vegetation for the service of man, that he may bring forth food from the earth and wine that makes the makes glad the heart of man, uh, oil to make his face shine, and bread which strengthens man's heart. Uh, so there again is, is, is uh, a, a statement inspired by God himself that says wine, makes the heart of man glad. And this is this is presented as a good thing. This is not a negative thing whatsoever. This is a truth we can indeed rejoice in, uh, and, and it reflects a good and gracious and kind and, and generous God. So let's let's take that as the as the law, right? And understand that as the background of Jesus Christ, who was born under the law and fulfilled the law perfectly. So when we switch to the New Testament, uh, which you'll see to the left, the two left columns here I have up. Uh, one is Luke 7.32 here, and the other one is John 1.5, actually 2, 1 through, I guess, 10. Um, so, uh, and we'll see very clearly that, you know, Jesus is living in accordance with the law, um, he's drinking alcoholic beverages, and that should not be contested, um, there's no reason, there's no textual reason, in, in fact, to contest, uh, to contest that. And there's every textual reason to think that, that he was drinking alcoholic beverages in a non-sinful way that glorified his father, because that was his mission and that's what he fulfilled perfectly in his act of obedience. So if you look in, uh, Luke 7, 34, Luke 7, 34 says, the son of man has come eating and drinking. And you say, look, a glutton and a wine bibber, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Now, 
the, the Pharisees would not have had an opportunity to accuse Jesus of being a wine-bibber if he didn't drink wine at all. Um, so they were, they were actually accusing Jesus. <clears throat> they were taking a mile for the inch, right? Jesus was drinking wine. That's quite apparent in the text. Um, and they said, well, you know, they tried to make the false allegation that he's a drunkard. Look, he's drinking wine. He's a drunkard. So they, 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 they took something that he was doing and he was doing within, you know, he was doing so lawfully into the glory of God and they tried to use it to accuse him. I'll also say that we have to be careful that this doesn't happen to actual Christians who are consuming alcohol. It, 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 you know, I've, I've heard the excuse before where, where you know, someone will say, well, um, you know, we can't drink out there in the world. Uh, you know, you can't, you can't have a beverage in front of an unbeliever or something like that because they'll, they'll, they'll have opportunity to accuse you of being a drunkard, even if you're not a drunkard. Well, and then on that basis, you'll be a bad witness. That's a subtle way to be in bondage to the world. You're you're granting the tyranny of of the world at that point, and and you're saying that the world actually determines what you get to and and what you get to do and what you can't do, and so you're in bondage to the world at that point, not to God in Christ. Um, and so uh, what Jesus is doing is he's drinking wine. This is normal practice, and the Pharisees have used that as an occasion to accuse him. Right, and they're accusing him uh, of being a, a, a wine bibber, uh, which is just another word for for someone who drinks too much wine until they're drunk. And um, that obviously was not true. Jesus says wisdom is justified by all her children. So you know, you you, you judge me according to to what you see. Um, you know. Wisdom is justified by her, by what she produces, what she, what she, by her fruits, essentially. Um, so, you know, Jesus is kind of saying, like, you know the truth, or you will know the truth, right? Um, if you don't know. Another place uh, we could turn to is uh, John 2. John 2, this is the wedding feast. And John 2 is another obvious place where it, it becomes very clear that uh, Jesus is. Um, is indeed dealing with real wine here. Um, so I'll just read from verse 1 to verse 10. Again, it's John 2. On the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Now both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding, and when they ran out of wine, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. Jesus said to her, Woman, what does your concern have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, whatever he, has, whatever he says to you, do it. Now there were set there six water pots of stone. You're talking about a lot of, of volume here. According to the manner of purification of the Jews, containing 20 or 30 gallons apiece. So let's, let's take the, the conservative measurement of that. 20 gallons. Uh, so what's 20 times 6? You have 120, right? 120 gallons. Of a volume worth of volume here, Jesus said to them, "Fill the water pots with water." So fill fill them up with 120 gallons worth of water in total, and they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, "Draw some out now and take it to the master of the feast." <clears throat> and they took it. When the master of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine, and did not know where it came from, but the servants knew who had drew who had uh, drawn the water. The master of the feast called the bridegroom. And he said to him, every man at the beginning sets out the good wine, 
And when the guests have well drunk, then the inferior. So usually the order is, let's put the best wine first, and then, you know, when we're out of that, we'll use the, the, the bad wine, the kind of, you know, the, 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 the questionable wine. You know, it's not so good. It's the boxed wine, uh, to use a cultural uh, reference. And then he says, you have kept the good wine until now. So what he's saying is that Jesus has actually produced the best wine. So uh, the subpar wine was given out, which was probably actually their good wine. And Jesus, Jesus produced wine that was actually better than that. Now, they would not be saying that about non-alcoholic drink. I mean, that just was not the cultural norm of the time. And, and to just to read into this, that that was grape juice, which wasn't really officially invented and marketed until like the 1800s by Welch's. Um, it, it would just be ridiculous. It would be, it would be eisegesis, not exegesis to do that. We just read the text and, and, and take it, take it at face value, unless you have another reason for not doing so. But in this case, we don't. Um, so there, there's, there are all these places we could go. We could go to different places here. Um, now let me, let me, um, let me issue a warning. Uh, to, you know, and this, this goes for parents, teachers, you know, of scripture, pastors. Um, you, you do want to be very careful that you don't present something like I've just presented, um, at, you know, as a kind of, <clears throat> as a kind of, I don't know, as a kind of an appeal to the flesh, you know, in, in the sense that you're saying, look, you can go out and actually be like your, your, uh, your sinful, you know, your, your, your not sinful. We're all sinners. Um, look, you can actually go out and be like your unsaved neighbor, right? Um, you can actually go out and, and, and be like these people. Your, your goal here is to fit into the world. Well, that's not the goal, actually. It's not, it's not to fit into the world. Um, the goal is not to fit into the world. And, and if you, if, if that's your ploy, well, then getting drunk, you know, helps you to fit into the world. So you might as well do that too. Well, that's not the, that's not the uh, that's not the goal here. The goal here is just to recognize something, a substance that is wine and and you know alcoholic beverages uh, among other beverages as something that is good, something that the Lord has has provided and ordained for for man's enjoyment to His glory, um, not as a means to go and 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 look like and look like the unbeliever. I I also don't hold that you know you should. Um, you should kind of flip that around and say, well, because it, you know, drinking any kind of alcoholic beverage uh, makes you look like unbelievers because because unbelievers drink alcoholic beverages. Well, unbelievers drive cars, right? Un unbelievers, um, uh, un unbelievers uh, use highways. Unbelievers buy homes. Unbelievers, you know, do a bunch of things that we also do. So that can't be our standard. The unbeliever and what the unbeliever does can't be the standard for what we don't do, right? So we can't make that mistake of, of letting the unbeliever actually control our morals. Um, scripture has to be the foundation for that. I'll also say that as parents, what this does, recognizing that alcohol is adiaphora. This is a matter of Christian liberty. What this does is it frees you up to be able to teach your children about alcohol instead of just saying, no, that's something we don't do. And then you kind of, what you do is you put, you put this wall of mystery um, between them and the alcoholic beverage um, that they've heard about on TV, that somebody at school has told them about, that somebody even at church has told them about. 
um, you put that wall of mystery there, that wall of mystery piques curiosity, then actually they end up having an encounter with alcohol that's not guided by reason or, or biblical morality. And so you have thrown a wall of mystery up instead of teaching them about what it is and that there actually is indeed a, a responsible and godly way to participate in it. Um, so, so in terms of, of, of parents and teaching children, it's always a bad idea to take something uh, that, that God has created and especially something that he's ordained to, 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 uh, to be something that is good according to his very own word and to throw the wall of mystery up in front of it. Because it, it's very much uh, the case that, um, that you know, children could, could perceive that to be an obstacle actually to climb over. And then once they climb over it, they'll, they'll, they'll uh, experience it in ways that they're not geared to experience it um, because they haven't been taught. So it's very important that <clears throat> you, you, under, you, you don't approach this subject with, a, with an attitude of, of restrictiveness, uh, but an attitude of, of, no, there actually is, like, like no, wine is good. God, God tells us wine is good. It, it makes the heart of man glad. Um, Jesus made wine. Jesus drank wine. Okay, so here is what you need to know within that context. Here's what the Bible teaches on wine, you know, and, and here's my explanation and my counsel as to how to use it to the glory of God. And that's what parents are there for, right, to, 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 to teach along those lines. So, um, hopefully this has been helpful. Um, you know, there, there are, there are other things like this. Alcohol just seems to be the, you know, in, in post prohibition times seems to be the, the hot button. Uh, there are other issues, uh, like this. Um, uh, but alcohol just seems to be, you know, the, the, the big one. Uh, some other issues I can think about would be like a Christian's desire to make money, you know, a lot of a lot of people would say, no, Christians shouldn't want to make money. The love of money is the root of all evil and all of this. Uh, and so then he shouldn't desire to make money. Well, there are tons of texts in Scripture that would suggest that, no, it's actually a good thing and uh, a, a godly thing to want to, um, to want to grow or mature your wealth. Um, again, not out of a sense of greed, but to the glory of God and to be able to serve um, uh, your family and, and future generations and, and your church through that wealth. So, um, you know, so there are other issues like this that, that are kind of hot, but, you know, should Christians drive, you know, if they have the money to do so, should they drive nice cars or, or, or should Christians, um, watch, uh, certain movies or should, you know, there are all these things that, um, uh, that come up, you know, that you, should Christians dance? Should Christians listen to this or that music? All these ethical issues, right, that, that come up that you have to, you have to, uh, you have to come, come at, not with an overly restrictive attitude, because you can just say, well, no, we're not, you know, the dancing is of the devil or whatever. Well, it's, no, it's not. The psalmist dances. So dancing cannot be of the devil. That's a man-made law. And so, um, you have to explain, but you do have to explain that there's like godly dancing and there's dancing to the glory of God and there's dancing that is, uh, that is intentionally and, and, uh, and explicitly lustful, uh, lust encouraging, even pornographic. All right. So, so you have to, you have to teach on, on, on that and you can't, it's easy to be overly restrictive. It's easily, easy to throw up the wall of mystery and just to, <clears throat> you know, you know, have that to be your, your expedient 
way out of dealing with these issues, but that's not necessarily the right way. I'm going to stop uh, blabbering on here and, and go ahead and close out. It, joshsummer.substack is the place to get the newsletter. It's joshsummer.substack.com. Go there, subscribe, get on the newsletter. There's a free subscription option. There's also a, an expensive annual uh, subscription op option as well, uh, which will help uh, this channel. Um, don't forget to subscribe to the channel. Click the bell for continued notifications. God bless you guys. Have a wonderful rest of your day.